Hi everyone, welcome to another spooky episode of Divided Films, the haunted podcast where we talk about divided films, movies that audiences and critics do not agree on. With me as always is my evil co-host, Keith. Hello! And we... Oh, no, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty spooky. It'll give me nightmares. And uh, coming back to the podcast is another ghoulish guest of ours, Adam Volerick. Welcome back. Boo! <laughs> Ah! Adam, I like asked the... you not to scare me, and here you are. I apologize. It's just it's like in the my opening nature. of a Simpson Halloween episode. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're all uh, we're all channeling the Crypt Keeper today. Oh man, that's like my hero right there. Um, so it is. Uh, it's been October, and we've been going through some spooky movies that are divided, and uh, we're going to finish off our little run here with the 2006 horror comedy movie, Slither, directed by James Gunn and starring Elizabeth Banks. This movie falls into the category of having a positive score from critics and a mixed score from audiences. On Rotten Tomatoes, 87% of critics approved and only 63% of audience approved. And the critics' consensus, a slimy B-movie homage oozing with affection for low-budget horror films, Slither is creepy and funny if you've got the stomach for it. Uh, I would say I have the stomach for it, but I can understand if other people don't. (laughs) Uh, This movie definitely is doubling down on kind of like the gross factor there, but I I don't mind. It's done in kind of an affectionate way, if that's possible. But uh, I remember seeing this movie maybe like a couple years after it had come out, caught on tv and i had a fun time watching it but i didn't really know anyone else who had seen it at the time uh but what about you guys were you aware of this one when it initially was released or did it take you some time to find out about it start with adam uh i believe i saw this film in a movie theater um i think uh if i remember correctly i saw the trailer uh on tv and i was like well i have to see that that's exactly my shit i must check it out um it's funny when when you when you said that you, you were thinking about covering this film, I was like, oh yeah, I mean it makes sense that this would be divided, and I didn't look up in which way it was divided because I could have seen it go either way. I could have either seen critics being like, this is fucking trash and I hate it, and audiences being like, this is you know hilarious and dark and gross and I love it. Um, I wasn't really expecting it to go the other way, uh, but I'm kind of glad that it did because. I don't know. I mean, I, I wish it had made more money when it came out and Gunn had gotten to do more of this kind of thing. But at the same time, um, I do like the idea that critics were actually on the pulse um, and audiences caught up later. Yeah, you know, it, it has something that I think critics actually really like when it taps into the older tradition of B-horror films, creature features in yeah. uh, a very deliberate way. So I, I yeah. think that's something critics like that there's some very like deliberate uh, choices being made there. Right. It's, it's, it's all very intelligently done. Like it's all, uh, yeah. Deliberate's like the perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas maybe like, I feel like this is maybe not what was in fashion at the time with horror movies. So maybe that's maybe why it didn't make that as much money as, um, yeah, I wish it did and why audiences weren't fully on board with it. But what, what about you, Keith? What was your history with this one? Uh, I remember, I didn't see it in the theaters, but I remember on demanding this, you know, I think late at night, I'm putting it on, on demand. This tickled my fancy. I think I saw the trailer going, I think I might dig this. I, I kind of did. I don't think Elizabeth Banks was a star yet. I didn't watch Firefly at the time. So I really kind of had no, I had no idea who Michael Worker was. So, uh, like the trailer, I think sold me, but I remember on demanding this and enjoying this. And by the time I got to college, this was a way to kind of connect with some film like hey did you see slither this is like an under i know everyone's not gonna like this movie um but there are certain if this tickle if you like tremors or evil dead or any kind of horror comedy b or or the blob the remake of the blob like old school homage to b movies this is goes well in that camp well you know horror comedy is i think a genre that we all like 
But I feel yeah. like that's something that not all audiences are into because it's like kind of counterintuitive to to put those two things together. It's a more niche subgenre. It, it's interesting that you say that because I think that um, horror and comedy are the only two genres that require a uh, a physical reaction from the audience to know that they're functioning, right? So horror, you know, it makes you frightened. You tense up, you scream, you do all those things. Comedy, it makes you laugh. You chuckle, you, you know, you do the big belly laugh uh, if it's really working. Uh, and bad horror often leads to comedy in the sense that you are laughing at the film. And bad comedy often leads to horror in the sense that you are cringing at it and feeling really uncomfortable in your seat. So I don't know that it's necessarily a mismatch. It's more that it's like to do it right, to, to actually get the scares in the right places and the laughs in the right places and have both be successful at the same time and balance that. I think that's just really hard to do. When it works, it works so well. Agreed. And when it doesn't, it is the fucking worst. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a tough thing to to get down. It's like a fine line, but it depends, too, I think, on the kind of horror you're doing. So the scares in this mm -hmm. movie are more like the kind that make you squirm, and then you kind of laugh yeah. at yourself for it, just out of levity. So I think that's the kind of horror you need to be able to laugh at it. Obviously, I think it's harder to do horror comedy if you're doing like deep psychological horror, uh, unless you like maybe throw in sure. a joke here and there. <laughs> Again, just for a little bit of levity, but it would be a smaller element of the film. Like, in this movie, it's so over-the-top conceptually and, uh, you know, visually that it, you know, the absurdity is kind of a comedy in itself, but then also, like, yeah. the dialogue is really, really funny in this, too. I think the characters, um, like, their reactions <laughs> yeah. to the chaos around them is, is so on point, and um, I feel like this movie actually is more of a comedy than a horror film of anything. Nathan Fillon, he gives the best reactions. He gives the most, re like, what the, what the fuck is going on? What the hell is this? Uh, yeah, he's so dry in his delivery about everything. Um, he's just like, well, that was some fucked up <laughs> shit. You know, like, he's just like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's great. Uh, him, or, and my favorite character in this movie was the mayor. Yes. And Oh, yeah, he's great. I, I like this actor, Greg Henry. Um, he, first of all, we would see him and Michael Rooker in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, so I think it's cool that James yeah. Gunn liked to bring maybe some actors along with him, even if, you know, for Greg Henry, he's in a smaller part. Uh, this guy I know mostly yeah. for just being, like, a jerk in previous things I've seen him in. Most notably, yeah. he was in Gilmore Girls as, like, the mean dad of Rory's boyfriend, which, perfectly enough, James Gunn's brother was on that show, so I didn't look into this, but in my imagination, uh. maybe James Gunn visited the set to see his brother, met this actor, and it was history from there. So who knows? I buy that, yeah. Um, and Keith, I know you said you didn't, you didn't know Michael Rooker from anything you, before you saw this, but I knew Michael Rooker from... Um, Morats, where he plays like the evil dad like he's like the chief villain and i feel like there there's so much of that same character in this character like even though he's married to elizabeth banks in this film there's always that creepy like vibe between him and uh and his daughter in Morats, where you're like does he like kind of want to fuck his daughter what's going on here and in this because of the age difference you're just like Oh, this feels like the culmination of that character um, just taken to its extreme. I should add, I should clear I like when I it's like relearning that he was in Mallrats. I should like the idea of character actors and people acting in movies 20, 15 years ago did not click with me until like I got to college because he was also because my parents watched this movie. He was the antagonist in Days of Thunder, uh, like against Tom Cruise. Like he's been acting for a wow, good long right. while, but he ha oh yeah, he's been around forever. Yeah, and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Like he's he's astonished, and it's amazing that Yondu <clears throat> is like a favorite character to some people in the MCU now because of James Gunn. Uh, but this is also what I appreciate about this film. In hindsight, is that this is the introduction to. James Gunn, his writing, his directing. This movie comes with style. Not every horror comedy movie comes with uh, a, uh, a voice, I would say. Not saying it's not bad, yeah. but it comes with a voice. Sure. It's definitely got his stamp on it, and that is something that made me want to maybe wish I had revisited this movie earlier because uh, I, I think this is the first time I've watched Slither since seeing Guardians of the Galaxy, 
And so going back to this movie now, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. If I went into this forgetting who the director was, I would have immediately recognized who it was because it's got all his signature touches to it. And you can. Yeah. And um, it just is so funny to me that, you know, he makes this movie and it doesn't really make um, any money. And then I think he made a movie with like Rain Wilson. Yes. Super. Have you guys seen? I love it. It's it's also as what you expect. Unrelentingly dark. Yes. Like that is I'm I'm like afraid to rewatch that because I'm just like I remember watching it and being like. You know, like I, I pursue this kind of work. I seek this out, and even I was just like, "Ooh, I don't know. This is this is like a little difficult for me to watch." <laughs> okay, I, I have to give that one a watch then, out of curiosity. I, 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 I think I need to check it out again. Um, but but you're absolutely right. It's it's funny. You know, I haven't seen this film probably since the early 2010s, and you know, since then I've seen Guardians, Guardians Two, and now The Suicide Squad. And he is really, uh, he's, he's playing his greatest hits, I think, in some of those films. Yes. Uh, a lot of what you see in Slither ends up in those films in, in very literal ways. I mean, if you look at um, Guardians 2, where um, Ego tries to, you know, envelop like a small town in the Midwest with like the expansion of his, his physical form or whatever. That's exactly what, you know, um, Grant Grant is doing in this. And then if you look at the villain, the final villain and the final sequence in the Suicide Squad, Hivemind Alien. Um, and in fact, some of the some of the shots and even the, um, the, the plan they make to take it down, it feels, I mean, it's very, very similar. I mean, they're executed differently and both very, very effectively, but it's just so interesting to look back to this sort of forgotten horror comedy from 2006 and be like, oh yeah, there's the groundwork for the rest of his career. Yeah, you know, you're because conceptually, um, it's yeah, it's a similar idea of one mind kind of wanting to be everything. I mean, I think both characters, Ego and Grant, both say at one point, like, you know, I will be everywhere, I will be everything, and right. I actually did recognize that watching the movie this time. Um, and you know, see, like this movie doesn't really have, I would say, like. A-list stars. It has definitely recognizable actors that you usually see in supporting roles. So I kind of dig that too, that you're seeing these actors, you know, Elizabeth Banks, Nathan Fillon, you're seeing these actors shine when normally they're like taking more of a backseat in a bunch of other projects, uh, or at least, you know, for, for the longest time. I mean, I didn't even realize this was the same girl, Elizabeth Banks, as, you know, from like the Spider-Man franchise, uh, you know, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's <laughs> secretary. Uh, just because of that black wig, I guess. And it was another thing like Keith where I didn't really look into, you know, like um, a lot of who these actors are and connecting their filmographies until college. So for me, that was like a mind blown. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like the same person. And I think she's like really good in this. I think she's um, living in this world really well. I think she's really charming. And I kind of wish she was the lead in more things. Oh, oh, that's gross. Come on. Oh. Come on. Come on. Wait, wait, wait. What the fuck? It's it's interesting that you refer to her though as the lead though, because I feel like this film, one of the things I found most interesting about it on this watch is that the protagonist seems to keep changing. Um, the first like 30 minutes of the film, it almost feels like Grant is the lead. Um, he gets the most screen time, we spend the most time with him. We see the sort of um, you know loneliness that he's experiencing and how that sort of makes him a perfect host for this, you know, traveling uh, alien that is uh, as we learn is, is is sort of alone in the universe even though it is absorbing everything uh, as it goes um, it's not until he he like begins his transformation and it cuts to that three days later then Nathan Fillion kind of becomes the lead and Elizabeth Banks kind of is like the second lead along with him um, but I just found that very interesting that the, we, you know, we, we meet Nathan Fillion and Elizabeth Banks early on in the film, but they don't really take center stage until, you know, the second act of the film, really. Yeah, I, that, that's a good point, too. I did realize, I did notice there was, like, a shift um, in, like, who the focus is on, but it seems like a lot of the story revolves around um, her characters. Maybe, yeah, it's, it's more of an ensemble film, maybe, then that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. But I think Elizabeth Banks's character... Yeah, everything seems to be centered like around her at least especially at least like this very like interesting uh relationship she has with her husband especially as the film goes on 
she, sure. Yeah, I mean, she she has the biggest sort of change or, or, or arc we can say because, you know, it's it's someone that we learn has uh, has sort of like fallen into this you know marriage of convenience due to you know the 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 trauma of her past and now she feels trapped in it and it isn't until her husband who is already kind of like monstrous and controlling uh, then sort of literally begins to physically embody uh, his worst traits. Uh, then she is able to finally sort of like free herself of him. She perfectly encapsulates uh, the B movie, like even her hair, a name like Starla. Like, I, I, yeah. none of the, I can't think of any of the actresses at the moment, but something that you would see in a grindhouse monster flick, like this, <clears throat> this uh, Vivian Leigh, almost like a Gone with the Wind type in a B movie. Well, even the when they discover this alien thing, Grant and the Brenda character, that is right out of like a black and white film of you know it's two two people making out in the woods, and then oh, what's this strange thing yeah. over here in the woods? Right. Let's get right close to it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's lean up right next to it and check it out. Yeah, right. Um, it's funny, you know, we having just rewatched all of the films in the Alien franchise. Um, I've, I've been paying, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in paying attention to sort of the, the life cycles of alien creatures in sci-fi films and, uh, and the, the symbolism and, and metaphor that they carry. And I think there's a, a great amount of subtlety imbued into what um, Scott does in that first alien film and how it, you know, sp- speaks to themes of sort of like male rape and, and pregnancy and all of these things. And then you look at this film and Gunn is like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what if there was no subtlety? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, I love it. It works extremely, extremely well, um, but it is not trying to be subtle in any way. It's very bombastic. It's all there on the surface. Um, you know, you go from the, the scene of, of Grant and Brenda in the woods encountering the, the egg and the needle, and then you cut, you know, forward to Grant impregnating Brenda, and instead of it being sort of this, like, subtle theme of, like, wouldn't it be interesting if the male character experienced sexual assault and then a pregnancy and we sort of play it out in this like very slow burn way and eventually when everything starts to calm down he explodes and an alien is born out of him in this it's just like no no we're gonna shoot this exactly like a very horny sex scene yeah well you even have during that scene where the poor brenda character is being uh impregnated it's like the classic james gunn thing of having like a soothing 70s hit Yes. Play while there's just this scene of chaos going on. You get that later on in the movie. Another classic touch. Yeah, you get the you get the needle drops here. You know, he's uh, he's he's showing you all his cards right away. You know, there's this there's this sort of like saying that you know you should treat every um, every film like it's going to be the last one you get to make. And I love the idea that he is just putting all of his cards on the table in this film and then the next one and the next one and then like every time he gets a, a chance at bat he's just like I'm gonna just throw everything at the wall because I may never get to do this again and these are the 10 things I like and you are gonna see all of them yeah yeah I like that attitude a lot because right you never know in that business and and too for him I, I, I just like how yeah I was saying before he makes this movie he makes super and you, neither one you could say is a financial success but then after that as a director he gets Guardians of the Galaxy and that winds up being like a huge hit and sure it maybe helps that he has like the Marvel name backing him up in that one but I just kind of like the idea that you know, he finally got to put his style out there in a way that resonated with audiences and now that might give him a chance you know audiences a chance to revisit maybe this movie and then you know if he yeah. if he breaks out into uh, out of the superhero genre at whatever time he wants, we can get more movies like this. It's worth noting that I think what helps him get Guardians of the Galaxy is the fact that his writing jobs make a are very successful. So he wrote Scooby Doo, and he also wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake that Zack Snyder directed. Right. Both of those films are, are huge hits. So I think that is the kind of thing where it's like. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't write. It doesn't grant him like a blank check status or anything like that. But it keeps him in circulation in Hollywood for years and years, even when these films that he's directed aren't necessarily hitting with audiences. But it's also it, it's it's obvious when you look at these. You know, Slither and Super. These aren't films geared at a general audience. These weren't going to be massive, humongous hits. They were only ever going to be sort of like breakouts within their genre. Um, 
And even the success of Guardians, that isn't something where you can look at that on the surface and go, yeah, this is a surefire hit. You know, like, it's it's clearly like a B property within the Marvel Universe. Um, most people hadn't heard of it before he makes it. It's got a talking raccoon and a silent tree man. You know, it's like, there's no way to guarantee that that one's going to hit in the same way that you can sort of guarantee a film with Spider-Man in the title will. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I remember when they announced Gardens of the Galaxy and what that movie would entail. Everyone was kind of looking at each other like, what are they doing now? A talking raccoon. Uh, but then, like, here we are um, all these years later, just where, like, so many people are fond of that franchise and really looking forward to the next one. So, you're and then he, that's right, he did write, I, I looked into that, he did write those movies in the earlier 2000s. Um, and it's interesting, he writes the Dawn of the Dead remake, which is... I think both like uh, a hit with critics and audiences, yeah, uh, which is difficult because that's a remake of a very classic beloved horror movie. But this, there was one critic's note. Even though critics mostly like this, there was one critic note that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It was like Richard Roper said that he didn't like this movie because he was all zombied out at the time, and. I'm like, okay, sure. There were a bunch of zombie movies during these like early mid two thousands, right? I think Twenty Eight Days Later, um, Dawn of the Dead, Land of the Dead. But I wouldn't even say this is like a zombie movie per se. It's definitely more leading into like the alien uh, part of the genre, but with zombie like elements. Well, it's 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 kind of an all of the above, right? Because we've talked a little bit about the things that it's like paying homage to and the things that it's pastiching, and I think that. Um, let me see, I wrote it down here. Um, <clears throat> it kind of goes from a like body horror film to a small town creature feature to an alien invasion film to a zombie movie. You know, like it goes through the cycles of all of them. And in that way, he's able to sort of pay tribute to all of these like filmmakers that he loves and have come before him. Um, I think you brought this up earlier, JJ. I think you're right. This is why critics liked it, because they were like, I'm a very smart man who has seen all of these things that it's referencing and I'm being tickled pink by being rewarded for my like repertoire of, uh, of previous viewings. Um, and so, you know, you, you've got within the first like 30 minutes, you have references to, you know, Evil Dead, even d- directly in the, the visual language. You've got that one shot, I think, in the first first like minute where the camera is like zooming through the woods and it lands on the the alien egg like that's right out of evil dead you've got you've got references to the thing um you've got references to keith you mentioned um the blob you've got body snatchers in Mm -hmm. here um you've got you've got shivers you've got night of the creeps um you've got night of the living dead you know you've got you've got all of them i think because you know brenda's definitely a reference to night of the living dead man mccready is a reference to the thing there's tons more in here that i probably haven't even clocked um that i'm sure some some horror kid listening to this is uh is is screaming in their chair going you forgot this one you forgot that one well listen to everyone out there that's what the internet is for someone has done that for us (laughs) so you can easily look that up uh, but yeah, I, I love that too. I definitely caught the thing references even in the beginning when I feel the rock, the the meteor, whatever this alien is coming in. You see coming towards Earth. You know, you, like the thing opens with the same shot of a spaceship coming into Earth. Yeah, and I like both movies conceptually. Obviously, they have different tones, but conceptually, I like the connection between the thing and Slither because both are dealing with an alien entity that is corrupting the human form in a very disturbing way and that is something that really resonates with me even though this movie is really funny a lot of times when you see that grant transformation it is like really jarring i think first of all from like a makeup and and practical effects point of view they do an amazing job making up this grant character at the end when he's like the full tentacle monster (laughs) i mean he looks awesome even with like all these I mean, that's another conceptually weird thing, too, is all the zombies merging with him and becomes, like, this huge thing of flesh. I mean, that's, like, really freaky. But I'm glad they just go all the way out there with that. Props to the uh, makeup department and special effects on on this. Uh, I do... I was... I... This thought did come to me a few days after I watched this to add to, like, the non-success of this movie. This movie came out in 2006. I think maybe it was like, if this movie came out when stream, like even when like Netflix was a thing, I think it would have been a, like a, it would have found like a home in terms of not being a box office failure. Yeah. I think it might have if it came out in the 90s, it would have had the the Tremors or the Evil. I know Evil Dead is 80, but it would have had like a Tremors success. I think some people would have seen it. It would have had that 
theater, small theater buildup. But it came out in that we didn't know what to do with, like, it wasn't going to the theaters and it it was too early for streaming because there's been a bunch of, I always think Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, another very good horror zombie, uh, horror comedy, found oh, a yeah. home on, like, a, a lot of people, it found a home on Netflix. Uh, also, one movie that I uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, if I'm getting, saying that name right. Oh, I love I, that, that was movie, the last yeah. movie I watched of like 2019. Another horror comedy, very well done. I think, and also, word of mouth also helps with all of this stuff, as it has with Slither. But I think Slither was a little too early and a little too late on some things. And that's just bad timing. Well, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right, Keith. I think if the film was slightly less nasty, uh, in its sort of point of view. I don't mean in its like visual style or its effects. There's like, there's a degree of sort of like nastiness and like edginess that like James yes. Gunn uh, is, is definitely intentionally going for at this point in his career, which he has since sort of like pulled back on. Um, I think if we, if we pulled out some of that nastiness in the point of view and it came out today, I think it would be a huge I th- hit. I think this is exactly the kind of thing that people are interested in watching these I days. I think, yeah, you, oh, I, I agree. The timing, the the 2006 was maybe just like uh, like an un- awkward time for this movie to be released. And you know, if you if you say it's released even earlier, even like say in early 2000s or late 90s, this could have been like a big um, like home rental hit that people would go out. And 2006 is when maybe people kind of start to stop doing that. And uh, you know, it, it was just like you said, it's unfortunate that maybe this is like the one time that maybe the one window that it might not have been able to take off. Yeah, I just see, like, people on film Twitter. Like, I, f- I feel like this would be a big hit on film Twitter, you know? Mm-hmm. I think this would be a big hit on Letterboxd. And I feel like that kind of, like, word of mouth would have gotten this thing out there had those platforms existed at the time. Yeah, I would say that this movie definitely has its fan base of people who will do go back to this. And maybe we can help spread the word a bit and get people back into it. Again, maybe, like, by word of mouth. Because uh, I do really have fun with this. You can definitely tell that the cast was having fun with this even like the zombie extras when they're doing their mm-hmm. zombie thing um the the small minor characters i think everyone is you can tell the actors are totally into it and i think that's another credit to james gunn to like communicate his vision and his tone to his his cast when again like this horror comedy uh mix is not the easiest thing to convey why are you running from me, baby? I wasn't gonna hurt you. I love you, baby. I tried not to change. I get it. I'm too ugly for you now, is that it? You betrayed me. I can't trust you no more. Huh? Huh? I got a little surprise for you. I'm shaking To go back to a yeah. point you said uh, just a moment ago, Adam. I don't think he's pulling back on... I think after watching The Suicide Squad, he kind of is like, this is who I am. And, and like you, As you said before, he, these are the 10 things that I like, and it's either a win-lose-or-draw win, <laughs> situation. And unfortunately, looking at everything with The Suicide Squad, it's unfortunate. I really enjoy that movie, but it was a, it's considered kind of like Slither. It's kind of a, you know, a box office failure in some ways, but it, it, it's such a... To me, that's a throwback to like the movie. I just watched the movie Sorcerer a while ago, and that's like a, a B movie war film that's mostly about the characters. But you still have the violence, the great score, the James Gunn's humor. And I don't think every. I really think it's kind of like a beer that only if not only a few, but either you like it or you don't. And I don't know why some audience members, I think some audience mm-hmm. members are kind of like Yelp reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes is they'll, oh, I don't like Thai, but I'll go into this Thai restaurant and say, I don't like Thai. Even though I don't like Thai, I didn't like the restaurant. I think some people just like watching movies and they like, oh, I didn't like this. This was stupid, boring, silly, gross. And I'm like, well, I would say this, watch the trailer. If you don't like it, don't watch it. But if it at, at, at any tickles your fancy, you will like this movie wholeheartedly. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's a good point. I think in a previous episode we did with you, Adam, you made a good point about how, you know, when audiences are the ones who don't like something, it kind of boils down to expectations. But I think yeah. this movie definitely made it clear what it was going to deliver oh, you. Oh, yeah. For example, I remember all the promotional material for this movie centered around the bathtub sequence. Yes. yes. 
the post the poster and the DVD cover is mm-hmm. still the best. Right. Sequence. I think all the trailers covered that scene because first of all, what could be more vulnerable than being in a bathtub with all these like giant red worms coming at your way? Yeah. And that was definitely maybe. I mean, I think that is a good scene to to represent. I think maybe they focus on it a little too much, but uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a stylized image in a way when you see all these different posters. Yeah, and I mean that scene is like a very memorable scene and everything. So I I think if you watch the, if you see that poster, and you you are for some reason not really liking that, but you go into the theater anyway, I, I can't imagine that being like a snare many audience members would fall into. I I agree, um, and also just to to go back to what I was saying about Gunn sort of pulling back. I I don't mean that he's pulling back on um, his style or or anything like that. I just think that there is a sort of like desire to um, push uh, push the limits of of certain sensibilities okay. uh, that we see in this film that we don't see in later films and. I, I would even argue that he he kind of addresses that in the work in films like Guardian and Guardians 2, which are about Star-Lord kind of growing up and, and being less of a, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, an edgy shithead. And I'm not calling Gunn an edgy shithead. That's, that's just how I think the character is presented in that film. But I, I believe that, you know, for someone that, that, that speaks so openly about his his work, his past, you know, his history, you know, writing and working with trauma and, uh, you know, the, the sort of things he used to put out onto the internet and like what you see in this film. I think that those films are him directly addressing his own past and sort of saying like, Hey, yes. I'm growing up and, uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to push, push those sensibilities in that way anymore. I'm still James Gunn. I'm still going to needle drop. I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to do that, but you're not going to see me, uh, you know, doing this exact kind of, uh, you know, edgy He even humor. looks like a more mature well, director think... when he was doing, he, yeah, he's gone gray. Yeah. He's gone gray. He's gone gray, I, gray all yeah. grow up. Uh... But I think when you come out of trauma, <laughs> edge, edgy is a part of your, like, cal- I think that's just part of your personality when you come out of trauma. But uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Do you, does this movie give you, does this movie give you a sense of, oh, this is a first time director's, uh, work you know do you get a sense of that or you know, no this is a fully formed director yeah you know like you watch this film and you're like this person knows exactly what they're doing they know exactly where that camera is supposed to be they know exactly when that cue is supposed to come in uh every scene is lit exactly how it's supposed to be lit it all feels very intentional you know there's moments where i was like oh wow this is like a surprisingly like brightly lit you know scene in in this uh in this bedroom right here and you know, uh, Elizabeth Banks has like so yeah. much glow on her. I wasn't really expecting that in a horror film. And you realize that he's doing that because he wants to contrast that with how dramatic the lighting is going to get as the film goes on. You know, it's he's 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 doing everything on purpose here. Yeah, you know, for example, too, from with the set, that house in the beginning is such like a pristine, perfect house. Yes, it's a beautiful house, and then obviously at the end, it becomes this like disgusting nest for this giant flesh alien. <laughs> So yeah, that that there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of setup in in the beginning that pays off, and, and it's not in like a super obvious way, but just in a way of like okay, this is someone who just is really good at um, just setting up the framework here, has put a lot of thought into the screenplay, and um, just has like a very clear map of where he's going to take us. So I I appreciated yeah. that that there was. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I love you know the cruel ironies, you know things that come back in any kind of any kind of movie, but especially like in a horror movie, you get especially when you've seen it before, and then you watch it this time, you kind of see like, oh, okay, they're setting up for something. Uh, that I didn't yeah, catch I mean, the first time. In, in that in that like classroom scene at the beginning, which I feel like is right out of mm-hmm. Halloween, where you've got the teacher sort of explaining the theme of the film to the students, I love and then that. the film begins. You've got that, and then you've also got um, the uh, the moment of Grant watching Animal Planet and learning, you know, like crocodiles have been here for millennia and they've survived all of this they're relentless and you know they're just just in their nature and it's just like yeah you you can see him it's a very tight screenplay in that regard he's just he's just laying it all out for you and and all the beats hit exactly when any screenwriting book would tell you they are supposed to hit (laughs) i I love it when uh i don't know like it has that you know as you said that first time filmmaker it doesn't, but it all like neither did the witch or hereditary or even get out where it's just like, I'm so happy all these people doing like a feature film for the first time are making these high quality 
pictures. Yeah, and you know, all horror movies where that's the genre that I feel like a lot of times big studios take for granted how you know they think it's easy to make a horror movie. They usually get lower budgets, and these are you know I think it's a it's a genre that has so much more potential than that. And these are all directors who go into this genre knowing that and doing a lot more interesting things than you normally see in that genre. So I think that's that's really great. And maybe there's something to say about you know horror being like that you know for maybe a first time big budget director getting a chance because usually there's like a lower risk but then really showing their chops and what they can do with with the storytelling there so those are all really good examples um of just not first time directors but just really great um staples now in in the genre Mm -hmm. i mean the thing with horror is that it is one of the few genres where if you make a film in the genre people will come out for the genre they're not necessarily coming out for the stars or the directors or anything like that they're coming to see a horror film so as far as like uh you know a producer's risk the return on investment is like almost guaranteed which it never ever is in the film industry um this is actually why blumhouse has been so successful as a production label is because they essentially play a they they have a volume game right so they they put out like 10 12 films a year they all have budgets of less than 10 million dollars as long as one of them is a hit it will pay for the entire production and they don't give a crap about uh like audience or critics reviews like uh i think they did fantasy island and that was made for like yeah uh less than 10 million dollar budget and i think that first weekend it made 50 million like you get the horror yeah you get a big big return on investment and that allows them to do blumhouse you know their staple is horror and they do more uh quantity but then you get movies like whiplash and get out (laughs) which are also made for very low budgets Mm -hmm. but uh like i think get out was made for five million Right, and that's the thing. Low budget, 100% creative control for the director. So it, it ends up being a situation where if, you, if, you, if in the right hands, the film has the potential to be something incredibly special and unique. Um, it's funny, I was actually I was pitching to, a, to an investor once and I was trying to get them to finance a horror film. I had this whole pitch put together with all these like charts and numbers for like the, the ROI on, uh, on horror movies. And they were like, you know, this is a really good presentation. I, I totally see what you're doing. I think you're right. We could make some money here. At the end of the day, though, I just hate horror films and I have no interest in financing. Wow. <laughs> That's I shame. just realized that he missed the boat on the Blum. Like, if <laughs> I feel like uh, because I was when I was doing research for this movie, only one production company was like, we'll make it right away and we'll give you a full creative control. And cuz everyone was like, "No, we're we're not really that interested in this." He missed the Blum like right, he missed the mm-hmm. If he got in at that early Blumhouse stage, this would be we'd be living in an entirely different universe right now. Not that so there would be the biggest movie, but it would have had a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally could yeah, have been. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, who knows where else that would have taken James Gunn's career? I mean, maybe he he wouldn't have done who knows if he would have still done Guardians of the Galaxy if he was making you know, different I'm happy kinds he of did. movies. I yeah, actually, I, I'm happy he did. I I now think that Guardians of the Galaxy three after this conversation, Adam, that uh, Peter Quill is gonna get fired for an old joke he made, and <laughs> and, and, then, and then find his way back. Guardians like, three, the cancellation Peter of Peter Quill. Quill. I think that's where the ultimate arc ends for him. Because yeah, I think I didn't even. It's nice to see James Gunn grow as a person. I always love that with filmmakers and writers especially, but it's nice to see a living arc, arc through their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I feel like there's still a good amount of, at least, I want to say, like technical maturity or something to say with, with this first entry he oh, has. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, like, for example, too, I like he gives himself a cameo towards the yeah. beginning of the yeah. movie. Very the Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock cameo. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a Lloyd Kaufman cameo. Um, Lloyd, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Kaufman being the um, the head of Troma Studios. Uh, in uh, uh, he, He's in the in the police station for a moment. Okay. I Always also nice like, to see Lloyd in his movies. I, I also like the small part from uh, Jenna Fisher as, That's of right. course, the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like playing the southern version of Pam Beasley. <laughs> she probably was on set for like two days. Well, his ex-wife at the time. I don't know if you. Uh, That's right. I did read about that. Yeah. Well, he, they were ex at the time. I was to say wife at yeah. the time. 
but uh, I, that's another one where like, oh, I haven't really watched this movie since I got really into The Office. <laughs> like, I for totally forgot she was in this for a hot second. Jesus! Why is she doing that? Atomus is moving! Relax! Oh my god, stop doing that shit! It hurts, bitch! You know it's another movie because obviously this we keep bringing up other movies to compare this one to. I also is getting homages to Cronenberg's uh, The Fly. Oh yeah, just definitely. from oh. like the makeup transformation. You know, first it's just little sores. Yeah. You know, and even because at first too, when he gets infected, Grant, he like feels more invigorated yeah. than anything else, right? Uh, and then eventually the monstrous half takes over. So I I kind of I like that parallel there again a totally different tone makes me kind of want to watch the fly now and it did make me want to watch the fly like immediately and the thing um those are the two where i was like oh man i really it's been a while since i watched either of those i gotta check them out again right i feel like all these movies again conceptually go together even though this one tonally is like you know the odd men out maybe like the wild stepbrother or something who like you know is making jokes while the other two are trying to be serious <laughs> Adam, I got a question. All right, I got a question for the both of you, and I kind of have an answer, but I feel like we need. What is it about? What makes someone go from doing horror movies to then comic book movies? I'm kind of because, I mean, he's following in the footsteps of a Sam Raimi, but also you have David F. Sandberg who got his start in horror and then has gone on to Shazam. I know maybe there's more, but I always think of those three as like that have gone, you know. Hum, very B movie horror to directing some adding budget. horror into their movies. Yeah, like, you know, I I think uh, I think in the case of uh, at least Gunn and Raimi, you are talking about two filmmakers who uh, it, who grew up in a time where comic book stuff and horror stuff were both looked down upon in equal measure, and so you're looking at people who. Uh, had what would have been fringe tastes at the time. Uh, it just so happens the world caught up with their fringe tastes. So I, I don't know that for them, horror and comic book films exist on a different level or different spectrum than they do to modern audiences. Um, I think that, uh, you know, really it's they're, they're both, they're getting their start in a space that allows them to get a start in a world that doesn't really make comic book films. They are also comic book nuts comic book films become a thing they get to level up they're leveling up into a world that perceives comic book films on the level up above you know b-movies and horror movies um i don't i don't know as much about sandberg uh or and and i believe he's he's significantly younger i think he's um well not significantly but i think i think Raimi is uh i want to say Raimi is in his 60s gun is in his 50s and i think sandberg is in his either late 30s or uh, early 40s yeah that makes sense i mean uh, you know, now we I maybe take for granted how mainstream comic book movies are, and that was your that was maybe a genre that, like, you know, critics maybe turned up their nose on, and now they're more on board with. Um, so so yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see where where the years have taken us here, and and again, like these are directors. Also, I don't want to take for granted either, because yeah. um, again, like if you if you look at Again, James Gunn's his first, his first outing here with Slither, financial disappointment that usually does not you know, spell well for a lot of um, directors, but he bounces back and he finally gets his big hit. Yeah. So, um, also, I just want to say I, yeah. I looked it up. Sandberg is forty years old. Raimi is sixty-one. Gunn is fifty-five. So there's a spectrum of ages there. Um, but actually, and I d- generation basically. Yeah, like I, of, uh... I, I do know though actually that um, I, if I remember correctly from just I think I read something on like nofilmschool.com. I believe Samberg, like Sam Raimi making Evil Dead, saw horror as like I can do that. It will be cool, and it will like you know if it goes well, it'll get me get me out there in in, in some kind of way. Um, I was actually just reading Bruce Campbell's uh, biography. Uh, and I also just actually saw Evil Dead again uh, in theaters for the 40th anniversary. So it's, so 40, yeah. it's awesome. all kind of like fresh on oh, my 40 mind. Years. Yeah, 40 Damn. years. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's all kind of fresh on my mind. And so, again, you know, the, the Evil Dead was obviously they, they wanted to make it. They were into that kind of thing. But it was also a calculated move. They were also like, 
you know horror films seem to be seem to be a thing that like play well with a certain kind of audience and like we believe if we do a horror film we'll be able to sort of make the money back on the on the production um so again sort of referring to going back to that that roi on just genre as the as the star um it is a calculated bet and it's a good bet yeah one that we always enjoy i think we're all fans of that of that genre we go out for the genre i mean we also like to go out for now at least we're seeing more directors attached to these these titles so like for example people will go out for a horror movie but then you might see maybe even more people go out for a jordan peele horror movie you know what i mean i think the the name behind the horror movies are starting to have an even bigger meeting than they had previously you mm-hmm. like their work it, like you like the voice you like them like you like their writing you like their their style like jordan peele is kind of I, w- I always think about where Jordan Peele has gone with horror, and, and I think it's evident that he's gone into a Twilight Zone. He's making, like, long-form socio-commentary uh, uh, Twilight movies in the best of yeah, ways. Yeah, he, he, he refers to them as social thrillers, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, I didn't, I didn't know that, but... Uh, but he um, also did, he also is, he was behind... He also is a, the host of the Twilight Zone, yeah. Right, the Twilight and, Zone and, on... And, and that was, like, evidence, like, hey, I'm like, okay, he grew up on the Twilight Zone. That he, like, watching us, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting this just, like, giant Twilight Zone message. Yeah, he, like, there's he even el- other elements a specific too, Twilight yeah. Zone episode as the sort of reference point for yeah. us. Um, I think, uh, and, and he also, I remember... Uh, an article I read with him or an interview or something where he was saying that um, in regards to uh, uh, sort of the how he managed to show up so fully formed he was like well if you look at Key and Peele we did you know all these you know pre-taped sketches and so many of them we were the joke came from playing in a genre space and playing that genre kind of straight but then adding a layer of absurdity to it and so in that sense, it's sort of like a film school experience for him where he is making, uh, you know, a hundred short films in a year that all have, you know, this kind of genre and that kind of genre. And as the show goes on, there's, there's a lot of horror stuff. Uh, the Forrest in... Whitaker sketch. It comes, yeah, I think yeah, that's the first there's... one that comes to mind. Yeah, there's plenty of horror in there. So he's, he's well versed in, in how to do all of that by the time he gets the opportunity to direct his first film. Well, to me, that all goes back to how... Yeah, horror movie horror movies also have such great potential for being a statement about something. Obviously, Jordan Peele's movies are a great example of that. But you could even make a case for this movie, Slither, where you know we we alluded to this before, where you know, Grant becomes this like monstrous person, and this is kind of like a manifestation of this like pent up energy in this uh, marriage of convenience, right? Like you, yeah. Right, even in a movie as like again as comedic and bombastic as as this one, you could still find like the metaphor behind like the monster or the, you know whatever you're going for. Yeah. So I I always I look for that in in horror movies, even if maybe it's not intentional. There, I feel like there's you know fears are rooted in a lot more deeper things, and so even if a movie's just trying to do <clears throat> like. You know, like a, a basic slasher or something. There, there, there can be some subtext to be found, even if it's not intentional. Yeah, I mean, also just, um, just because you're talking about Grant again. First of all, absolutely fucking hilarious that his name is Grant Grant. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. Like Grant truly, Grant. truly incredible. Um, but also, I, I love the scene that uh, after Grant has been infected with the alien and, uh, you know, he comes into the house and Elizabeth Banks is there and, um, you know, tries to sort of reignite the intimate side of their relationship and he starts crying and it's this bizarrely tender thing that ends up sort of becoming a driving point throughout the rest of the film where you realize that, yeah, like, you know, I, I love the sort of thing that Gunn is playing with. Like, he's exploring the psychology of the thing of the blob a creature that absorbs everything in its path and uh and and assimilates everything and in assimilating everything you know creates this hive mind where it where it is all it is all people it, it is all of these things and yet is extremely lonely because all it because in actuality what it's doing is just moving from place to place consuming 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 without making any actual connection beyond the physical connection of absorbing things i love the way that that monster seems 
so fucking sad. Yeah, especially uh, you know, at the end. It's so it's so it's such an interesting take uh, on that. You know, you don't watch the thing and feel sympathy for the thing, but you, th- there's a part of you that feels sympathy for this thing, even though it is absolutely repulsive and horrible. Right. Because, as it says, and as we learn thematically up front, it's just following its nature. Yeah, they they, they definitely um, emphasize that. Is this and... the first movie? And and I don't want don't say the Borg, but is this the first movie where we do get some? <laughs> Like, who knows? The thing could be, like, a scared creature that's just trying to survive. Is there... Is this the first time we... The hive mind is a, like, a character? Or there's any sort of sympathy like, or empathy and, and for just, a hive mind? And, and that's just me, maybe. I I know Night of the Creeps was uh, heavily referenced. i just never seen it, but it definitely came up in my research. But I'm trying to think of, yeah, like... Yeah, I, ca- I ca- can't remember. I... At least... You know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they have, I don't think they have, like, character. They have motivation, or they ha- but they, ha- they have, like, their job. But I don't think, at wor- the world's end, that's later on. That's, uh... right. actually, yeah, that's interesting. Even then, that, that, there's, that's there a isn't really a too. second. Yeah. yeah, but there isn't, even in World's End, there isn't really, uh, there's no... There's nothing beyond the like the mission-driven mind yes. of of that hive mind. It's just like we're here to assimilate you because you guys can't fucking handle yourselves. You know. Um, wow, that puts Slither in and, a different uh, category for me. Uh, that, that's just got some points. I never even thought about. I'm that. sure. I'm look. I'm sh- I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure it isn't the first. I'm sure there's stuff that like we are we are missing. But I do think it it stands out as a result either way. Okay. Yeah. I'll um, I'll take you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it's the first, and if someone wants to come at me, bring it on. <laughs> I will take that responsibility. Oh, I think there's empathy for this for this creature, which again brings me back to the fly, because there's a lot of empathy for the Jeff Goldblum fly yes. monster, even after he's transformed yeah. completely at the end. Uh, so again, that's like a credit to both directors that you feel sorry for this absolutely disgusting, hideous thing that you want to <laughs> like not really look at for too long. Um, yeah. I, I like um, you know I like thinking about this. It, I mean, any sort of uh, horror concept, I like to think out. I like th- that for James Gunn, he just put a lot of thought into how this creature like takes over worlds and what its you know whole system is, how it breeds, how it infects people in different ways. Again, just putting thought into it, and I think it's pretty tight. Obviously, you can like poke holes in it, and it's pretty ridiculous. That and that's like where the levity of the character's commentary comes in. But I just like that, you know, I think about it, I'm like, okay, this all kind of checks out. That's that's the potential when you have an alien invasion movie is that, um, you know, it could be whatever you want, really. You can you know, have them incorporate elements of being zombies or these, like, disgusting worm things, um, <laughs> you know, or, like, have this character, this poor Brenda character, turn into a giant flesh balloon and explode. It's probably one of the worst that, things that's I've seen. The, that, that, I think, is the most... For me, that's the most horrifying image in the film. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's so yeah. Hard, so hard to uh, to watch, yeah. I feel like it's one of the worst things I've seen to any character in any movie. Is, yeah. like, like, Why did you do this to her? <laughs> top, top 20, maybe, like, horrible, like, movie deaths is this character. And again, like, the fact that they built this giant ball and and painted it into this flesh color and stuck this this actress's head through i mean that's like all awesome i'm sure they had fun making that and stuff <laughs> like that but again like i can see why that would turn off certain audience members because it's just so oh, yeah. bizarre and weird uh that or the fact that these like yeah you see these worm things kill like small children <laughs> you know like that's true see that that's some of the sort of like edginess and nastiness that i'm referring to where i'm like i don't think modern Excuse me, I don't think modern day gun is going to be killing kids on screen. No, 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 no. I mean, you don't see, like, too much of it. You just see them kind of, like, squirm around a little bit after the yeah. fact. But still, like, you know, this poor teenage girl sees her whole family get, like, um, murdered by, like, disgusting, like, I don't know, slugs. And, and then they rise from the dead to come after her. Like, it's like classic zombie film stuff where you yep. are faced, you, you know, your enemy has the face of, face of your loved ones. And, like, you know, even if you feel sympathy for them, you're only hurting yourself by trying to save them. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's. Um, I definitely got that homage that that he was playing in that scene where she's like in the car and they're all like surrounding her. Like, come on, it's us. I read that the producers were like, "You could do this, but can you not show the kids getting like killed?" <laughs> it's like, fine. It's like, we'll just that have makes them sense. Yeah, I, no, no, I get it. That or the fact that also like Grant is 
got a whole cellar full of dead cats and dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was horrifying. You know, like, there's just a lot of things. I don't know. Audiences like to see children or dogs get murdered. Those are usually two no-nos, but... I don't that's know. The, the, those are those are rules. You, you know, that's that's what they tell you. Like, don't, kill got, a, don't, don't kill a dog. Don't kill cows. Are Spielberg okay. got away with that in Jaws, and I think that's probably the only time that anyone's gone away with that. But 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 in Jaws, it is played for an emotional emotional thing because we have right. the the mother of the child come back afterwards and and slap the chief. You know. No, that's that's totally true. It's not played for jokes or anything. That's like a more serious dramatic movie. Uh, but yeah. again, like a risky move either way. Because uh, yeah. you, know, you risk turning off your audience, especially in the first 15 minutes. Because you and I, we could be together. Ooh. I never had much use for this world anyway. I can stay with you while you do what you need to do. Because it's your nature. And I see that now. I'm here for you. So, um, I think, uh, yeah, we can give our final thoughts now on Slither. So, uh, Adam, if you want to start us off here on, you know, what your, what your assessment would be, your final score would be on Slither. Yeah. Uh, yes. What is my, what is my, do we do out of a hundred? Yeah. I can't remember. That's the rules. That's the rules. Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it's important to grade a film sort of on like not uh, not what you want it to be, but what it is trying to be. And I think in terms of what this film is is attempting to be, it's like fully, you know, and completely successful. Um, I think uh, I think for that reason, I have to give it, you know, probably uh, like an A grade. I think I got to give it somewhere in the in the ninety to ninety five range. I don't know what do you call that? Ninety three? Yeah, let's yeah. Do that. <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> cool. Oh, what about you, Keith? Uh, well, Adam, this your uh, this is your third time on this show, and I I think I could talk. We could talk about movies with you for days, like just. Uh, so, but I always appreciate yes, talking I'd to you because talk about movies with you guys. I I always talk about uh, one thing I get out of talking about uh, King Kong. It's the movies always go two points, a couple points above, just like dissecting this movie, and it's the same thing that happened here. I think that Slither. It's not for everyone, but don't see if once again, if you see the yeah. trailer, watch the trailer. If it's not for you, do not watch it. But if this at all trickles your fancy, I think this uh, it's good for Halloween. It's it goes in the the monster movie. Like if, if you wanted to do like a marathon of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Evil Dead, Tremors, Tucker, like Slither has more than earned its place, maybe in the top five. I'm going to give it a solid 85. Right on. Nice. Because uh, because I, I it's I think he has gotten better as a filmmaker. Oh, okay. But it's eighty five yeah, yeah. is a pretty good first off the bat for me. Yeah, I, I'm gonna give this one a ninety. I I think that it's just a really fun time that it is doing everything it wants to do very successfully, and I I just really appreciate how again I I feel like affectionate is a word that comes to mind which is, again, kind of bizarre considering how gross this movie can be, but uh, not just for the old B-movies that it's referencing, but just, like, everyone's having fun with this movie. Yeah. And I feel like that's infectious, appropriately enough. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just, I really just enjoy myself watching this. And yeah. so I'd recommend it to, I think every everyone we know would enjoy this movie. Again, it's not for everyone, but... Um, Definitely at least giving it a shot, because you never know. And also maybe oddly nostalgic for the mid-2000s, which is not typically a time that I think too much about, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It has a very sort of mid-2000s look to it. You know, it's got this sort of like high-contrast cinematography with this like green tint to it. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, you're making a horror film in the mid-2000s? Slap that green on there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Get us in the mood there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it's that's funny. Yeah, the little little touches there that bring you back to that era. But uh, okay, Keith, what what is our average score? It doesn't happen often, but we are higher than the critics. Eighty nine. Uh, I'm all about it. Uh, wow, look at that. I do think We're certified fresh in this baby. 
That's yeah. I so it's it's official uh, on Slither. We are siding with the critics, and so you know they got it. But I would even say it's even better than they they say it is. So, yes. thank you, Adam, for for joining yeah, us thanks, again. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a good time to come on the show and chat about the movies with you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming on. And then for anyone out there who listens to us, um, make sure you also check out Adam's podcast, Adam and Dom's Eye of the Duck podcast. Uh, yes, Eye of the Duck. We drop every Monday on all of your podcast platforms. We just wrapped up a mini series on all of the films of the Alien franchise. <clears throat> Uh, Xenomorph Summer so if you liked listening to me uh, jabber on about uh, aliens and parasites and uh, all that gross stuff you should check that out and if you like crime films we're currently uh, in the middle of a new miniseries uh, on films of the true crime genre awesome man yeah I, I love your your podcast with Dom my favorite of that Xenomorph Summer was the Spaceballs episode because that's a, a yes. childhood favorite of mine and I was yes, so our, happy our bonus yeah uh, Spaceballs with Griffin Newman from Blank Check definitely check that one out yeah yeah that was that was hilarious um so yeah thanks guys uh for listening to our podcasts and uh our discussions on movies and look out for more all right see you guys bye